Open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts, the 13th chapter. Acts chapter 13. As you're turning there, I will again add my welcome to each and every one of you. It's good to be here on the Lord's Day, to be able to worship our Lord on this wonderful and beautiful first day of the week. Glad for our visitors being here. Appreciate your being in attendance. I hope that you'll be edified by the things that we do here each and every first day of the week. Each month I try to bring a lesson about the gospel itself, the good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And over the past several months, we've been looking through the book of Acts and looking at those sermons that the apostles and others preached as the word was going out itself. We looked at Peter's sermons in both Acts chapter 2 and chapter 3. We looked at Stephen's sermon in chapter 7. And we looked at the results of each one of those, two alike and one very different. Some time ago, we considered the events that took place in chapter 10, where Peter goes to the house of Cornelius and delivers the word, delivers the gospel to the Gentiles for the first time. So here in chapter 13, we have the first recorded sermon of the Apostle Paul. And as with Peter and Stephen's sermons, there is a noticeable reaction by those who hear what Paul has to say. But before we get into the message itself, I'd like for us to look a little bit into the historical background, where we find ourselves when we get to Acts chapter 13. So if you're there with me in Acts chapter 13, this begins Paul's first missionary journey. There were several men who were ministering for the Lord at the church there in Antioch, and that is Antioch of Syria. And among these men were two men named Saul and Barnabas. And the Holy Spirit spoke, and he sent Paul and Barnabas out to pro proclaim the gospel message. And they would also take along with them a fellow by the name of John Mark. And they sent out um, from Antioch, and they sailed to Cyprus and to Paphos, where Saul, who's also called Paul, you'll notice that there in verse 9. From then on, it'll be Paul, Saul will be called Paul. Paul here in Paphos has a showdown with a magician. And Paul, being full of the Holy Spirit, was able to make the magician blind for a time. And because of that, the proconsul there in Paphos believed. Because of this demonstration of the power that Paul had, he believed what Paul was saying. After this, they journey on to Perga, where John leaves them and returns to Jerusalem. And this happens to be that issue that causes a disagreement among John, Mark, and Paul. And later on, in the, second, in the beginning of the second missionary journey, Paul felt like John, Mark deserted them at this time. And he was hesitant to take John with them on that second missionary journey. So eventually they come to Antioch of Pisidia, and this is not to be confused with Antioch of Syria, from where they began this journey. There were two Antiochs, there's one in Syria and one in, in Pisidia. So they arrive there in Antioch of Pisidia, and Paul and Barnabas, on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue, and there they sat down. We pick up in verse 15, read here with me in verse 15. So Paul and Barnabas are in the 
synagogue at Pisidia. Verse 15 says, And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. Note for a couple of things. Note one, who is listening? We have men of Israel and you who fear God. These you who fear God would be proselytes. Those would be Gentiles who had converted to Judaism. If you look over in verse 43 for a moment, we understand who these people are. Verse 43 says, Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. So these are men, not of the Jewish nation, but men who had converted to Judaism, those who fear God. They were gathered in the synagogue there on the Sabbath. And they asked Paul, would you like to say something? So Paul stands up and says, the first word out of his mouth is, men of Israel, and you who fear God. And there's that all-important word, listen. So now the sermon itself, now that he has their attention, we pick up here in verse 17. It says, The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out from it. And for a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed the seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. And after these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. As often we see, especially with these Jewish audiences, these men will begin by telling a brief history of the nation of Israel. Paul reminds the listeners there of the great heritage that they had. He also reminds them of their forefathers' disobedience which left them wandering in the desert for 40 years. He tells them of the fulfilled promised land. God had made that promise to Abraham. God is faithful and remains so. And he fulfilled that promise that he made to Abraham, that he was going to make them a great nation. We're going to give them a land to inherit, a land flowing with milk and honey. Paul reminds them that God was good for his, on his promise and made that come true. And he recounts how they had judges in Israel for a time. Those men and one woman who would judge the nation of Israel. Until the time they asked for a king. They wanted to have a king like the other nations around them. And so Saul became the first king in Israel and would reign for 40 years. Brief recount of that lineage, oh, I beg your pardon, of the history of, of Israel leading up to the Lord Jesus Christ. Pick up in verse 22. And after he had removed him, that being Saul, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will from the offspring of this man, according to the promise God has brought to Israel a Savior 
Jesus. Paul reminds us a little bit about Jesus and about his lineage, where he came from. Jesus would come from the lineage of King David. And what is said about David? He was a man after God's own heart. We understand David's sins and his great sin. But God always described him as a man after his own heart. God would fulfill another promise by giving Israel a savior. Another promise made to Abraham. And that would be the savior, Jesus Christ. David's going to be mentioned a little later on. And there's going to be a sharp contrast that's going to be made between David and our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul here reminds them of, of, of Jesus and where he came from, the lineage coming down from David, from King David. Now in verse 24, we read about John's proclamation. Pick up in verse 24. It said, After John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and while John was completing his course, he kept saying, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. But behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whom I am not worthy to untie. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God, to us the word of this salvation is sent out. John's proclamation. John's purpose was to come and to proclaim the coming of the Lord. If you remember what John says in John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. Remember what he said? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John knew his role. And he knew that the one coming after him would be much greater than him. And it would be that promised Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. He also spoke of a baptism of repentance. Getting the people ready to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We read about that in Acts chapter 19 and verse 5. Those who are only familiar with the baptism of John. Paul took them and baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, and this gospel message is now going out into all the world. This gospel message about Jesus Christ is now going out into all the world. And uh, like Peter and Stephen before him, Paul convicts the Jews of putting that Son of God to death. Pick up in verse 27. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets which they read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. And when they carried out all that was written concerning him, stop there for just a moment. Here's the conviction of the Jews. Like Peter and Stephen before him, Paul convicts the Jews and the, their rulers there in Jerusalem of putting to death the Son of God. And not only that, but putting him to death under false charges. I think it's ironic the way he states this. That he says that they didn't even recognize Jesus. Even though they read about him on the Sabbath. Every Sabbath. They read about the coming Lord. And he was there among them. Jesus walked this earth and still they didn't recognize him. Even though each and every Sabbath they read about a coming Messiah. 
I find that ironic. And here Paul is on another Sabbath, proclaiming Jesus Christ. He has the opportunity, again, to go into a synagogue. The men ask him to stand up and say something, so he did. And he proclaims Jesus Christ. On the Sabbath, in a synagogue, again. The Jews had the Roman government put the Lord to death. In Matthew chapter 27, remember, Pilate asked the crowd, should he release Barabbas or should he release Jesus? And when they asked what to do, they said, crucify him. And he goes on as far as to say in verse 25, these men said, his blood be on our heads and on our children. Not only did they cry for him to be crucified, they took the responsibility. The blood be on us and our children. And so they had the Son of God put to death. He hung on a cross. Pick back up in verse 29, the second part. After they put him to death, and they carried out all the things that was written about him. We've looked often about those prophecies that were fulfilled in the death of our Lord and all those things that came true. Horrible things. They took him down from the cross and they laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up, from him, came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. The very ones who are now witnesses to the people. Paul reminds them about the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. God raised him from the dead. He appeared to many witnesses. And those witnesses are the ones that are now proclaiming the gospel message that Jesus Christ has been risen. And why is his appearing to witnesses so important? Why is it so important he was raised from the dead and appeared to many so that that could be confirmed. Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for just a moment. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 12. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we witnessed against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are men most to be pitied. The importance of Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. Paul tells them there how important that is. And that's the word that's being preached. That Jesus has been raised from the dead. So now we come to verse 32. And we hear the gospel message. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. That God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus. 
And it is also written in the, in the second psalm, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. And as far as the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no more to return to decay, he has spoken of in this way, I will give you, uh, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, Thou will not undergo, allow thy holy one to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. The good news. Here's the good news. That God raised up Jesus. Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Another promise fulfilled. A promise of that coming Messiah. Not only did he raise him up as in the sense of, the, of his birth, as in the sense of bringing him at the right time into the world, but he also raised him from the dead, thereby proving and providing for a way of salvation. What we just talked about. That's so important fact that God raised him from the dead. And unlike David... Jesus did not go un undergo decay. You see, see, David, the words that he spoke, the mission that he fulfilled when he was laid to rest, his body underwent decay, laid with his fathers, not with Jesus. Jesus was not abandoned to Hades. God raised him from the dead. Note also what it says there in verse 39. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. We've been studying the book of Hebrews and talking about how the law could not truly redeem men from their sins. What does Paul say here? Same thing. It took the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ to be able to have men be truly justified for their sins. Paul speaks of the things of the law as a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is Christ, there in Colossians 2 and verse 17. Jesus can truly save to all those who believe in him. So as Paul concludes the gospel message, look what he says here in verse 40. Take heed, therefore, so that these things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you, Behold, you scoffers, and marvel, and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. Take heed. Remember how he began this sermon. Listen. Listen to what I'm telling you. Take heed of these words that you've just heard. Those same readings that happen on the Sabbath also, also, also speak of those who don't believe the things spoken by God. Paul reminds him of the things here. Behold, you scoffers, and marvel, and perish. If you don't believe these things, 
There's no hope for you. A work which will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. For I am accomplishing a work in your days. There was a promise made. And God is carrying out that promise. Paul is reminding them of this. He is carrying this out. The Messiah has come to save men from their sins. Paul warns them about the dangers in not heeding these words. For those who don't listen will perish. So now we have the reaction that we often see to the words that are spoken. Look in verse 42. It says, And as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Many, it seems, did heed the things that Paul said. And they wanted to hear them again next week. Please come back. Tell us these things again. Verse 43. Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. These people followed Paul and Barnabas out of the synagogue. And they were encouraging them to continue, to continue in proclaiming the gospel. And again, we see that these were the Jews and proselytes, those who had been converted to Judaism. So look what happens on the next Sabbath. We have that recorded for us too in verse 44. And the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. Since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Verse 47. For thus the Lord has commanded, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you should bring salvation to the end of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many had been appointed to eternal life believed. Obviously the word had spread because the whole city turned out the next Sabbath, to hear these things that Paul and Barnabas were speaking. And again, we see these jealous Jews. And they begin to revile Paul. They begin to try to tear him down, tear down the message that he is bringing. But notice what it says. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, telling them that since they had rejected what they were saying, that they now were going to focus their efforts on bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. So we turn to the Gentiles. And these Gentiles, the proselytes, and surely many of the others in the city that had come to hear the word of God, they believed the gospel. They believed the things that Paul was saying. And look what a wonderful result all this has. Pick back up in verse 49. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But here comes those Jews again. Verse 50. But the Jews aroused the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet and protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. As a result of the city being stirred up, 
And as, the pres- and as a result of the presence of these Gentiles, the word was spread throughout this whole region. What a marvelous thing that is. But the Jews did succeed in running Paul and Barnabas out of town. They did succeed in that. Later on in chapter 14, we'll see that these Jews, along with the ones in Iconium, which was the next stop on their missionary journey, they would come down to Lystra, where Paul was teaching and preaching. And they stoned Paul to death. So even though they didn't succeed in silencing him here, they drove him out of the city. But later on, them and some from Iconium stoned Paul to death, and they drug him out of the city, and they left him for dead. But Paul would not be deterred. And in fact, he would return to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. He would not be deterred by this. Verse 52, read again. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. What a shining example of God's providence for all these things that happened. To take a situation that could have been easily disastrous, as we see in Lystra when Paul is stoned. That could have, been, that could have happened here, but instead, the word of the Lord spread throughout this whole region. The Lord took a situation that could have easily been disastrous and turned it into an occasion where many believed. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful message. What a wonderful, shining example of God's providence that is. Paul delivers a powerful message to the Jews and to those Gentiles who believed. And those who had gathered to come and hear on that next Sabbath, what the things had to, that Paul and Barnabas had to say. The powerful message that Paul was proclaiming here in Antioch. And note that he does not shy away from the fact that the Jews in Jerusalem conspired to put our Lord to death. Does not shy away from that. He goes on to tell them how God raised him up, thereby proclaiming salvation to all those who believe. Many in Antioch believed, Jews and Gentiles. But some didn't, as is most of the time we see. There's some group that doesn't believe. And they, they try to silence the message that's going out. But the gospel message cannot be silenced. We see time and time again in the historical count in Acts, the gospel message continues to go forth. And in fact, every effort to silence it only makes it spread more and more. The gospel cannot be silenced. And it's still going out today. I stand here this morning proclaiming the gospel. It's still going out today. Do you believe it? Do you believe the gospel message? Do you believe that God raised up Jesus Christ from the dead in order that salvation can come to all those who believe in Him? And if you believe that, have you obeyed it? Have you obeyed the gospel? If you haven't, you need to. It is the only way by which we can be saved. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. Mark 16, verse 16, those who believe and are baptized shall be saved. 
You've heard the gospel and you have believed it. You've repented of your sins. You've confessed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You're a candidate for baptism. 1 Peter 3, verse 21, baptism now saves you. Not the washing away of the dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. When you come up out of that water, you come up a new creature. Raised in newness of life. Paul talks about in Romans 6. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, you need to, and we can help you with that. Or if you've stumbled or fallen down and need the prayers of this congregation, we can help, help you with that as well. And you can make your request be known by coming forward as together we stand and sing.